Chapter Four of the Best Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gail Mattern. The Best Man by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter Four. What had he done? Was it some great, unnamed, unheard-of crime he had unconsciously committed? Could anyone understand or excuse such asinine stupidity? Could he ever hold up his head again, though he fled to the most distant part of the globe? Was there nothing that could save the situation? Now, before they left the church, could he not declare the truth and set things right? undo the words that had been spoken in the presence of all those witnesses, and send out to find the real bridegroom. Surely neither law nor gospel could endorse a bond made in the ignorance of either participant. It would, of course, be a terrible thing for the bride, but better now than later. Besides, he was pledged by that hand-clasp to answer the appeal in her eyes and protect her. This, then, was what it had meant." But his commission, what of that? A matter of life and death. Ah, but this was more than life or death. While these rapid thoughts were flashing through his brain, the benediction was being pronounced, and with the last word the organ pealed forth its triumphant lay. The audience stirred excitedly, anticipating the final view of the wedding procession. The bride turned to take her bouquet from the maid of honor, and the movement broke the spell under which Gordon had been held. He turned to the young man by his side and spoke hurriedly in a low tone. "'An awful mistake has been made,' he said, and the organ drowned everything but the word mistake. "'I don't know what to do,' he went on, but young Jefferson hastened to reassure him joyously. "'Not a bit of it, old chap. Nobody noticed that hitch about the ring. It was only a second. "'Everything went off slick. "'You haven't anything more to do now but take my sister out. "'Look alive there. "'She looks as if she might be going to faint. "'She hasn't been a bit well all day. "'Steady her quick, can't you? "'She'll stick it out till she gets to the air. "'But hurry, for goodness' sake.' "'Gordon turned in alarm. "'Already the frail white bride had a claim on him. "'His first duty was to get her out of this crowd.' Perhaps, after all, she had discovered that he was not the right man, and that was the meaning of her tears and appeal. Yet she had held her own, and allowed things to go through to the finish, and perhaps he had no right to reveal to the assembled multitudes what she evidently wanted kept quiet. He must wait till he could ask her. He must do as this other man said, this, this brother of hers, who was, of course, the best man. Oh, fool and blind! Why had he not understood at the beginning and got himself out of this fix before it was too late? And what should he do when he reached the door? How could he ever explain? His commission. He did not breathe a word of that. What explanation could he possibly offer for his, his yes, his criminal conduct? Why, no such thing was ever heard of in the history of mankind as that which had happened to him. From start to finish, it was... He could not think of words to express what it was. He was by this time meandering jerkily down the aisle, attempting to keep time to the music and look the part that she evidently expected him to play, but his eyes were upon her face, which was whiter now, and if possible, lovelier than before. "'Oh, just see how devoted he is!' murmured the eldest of the two dear old sisters, and he caught the sense of her words as he passed, and wondered— 
Then, immediately before him, retreating backward down the aisle with terrible eyes of scorn upon him, he seemed to feel the presence of Miss Julia Bentley leading onward toward the church door. But he would not take his eyes from that sweet, sad face of the white bride on his arm to look. He somehow knew that if he could hold out until he reached that door without looking up, her power over him would be exorcised forever. Out into the vacant vestibule, under the tented canopy, alone together for the moment, he felt her gentle weight grow heavy on his arm, and knew her footsteps were lagging. Instinctively, lest others should gather around them, he almost lifted her and bore her down the carpeted steps, through the covered pathway to the luxurious motor-car waiting with open door, and placed her on the cushions. Someone closed the car door, and almost immediately they were in motion. She settled back with a half-sigh, as if she could not have borne one instant more of strain. Then, sitting opposite, he adjusted the window to give her air. She seemed grateful, but said nothing. Her eyes were closed wearily, and the whole droop of her figure showed utter exhaustion. It seemed a desecration to speak to her, yet he must have some kind of an understanding before they reached their destination. "'An explanation is due to you,' he began, without knowing just what he was going to say, but she put out her hand with a weary protest. "'Oh, please, don't,' she pleaded. "'I know. The boat was late. It doesn't matter in the least.' He sat back, appalled. "'She did not herself know, then, that she had married the wrong man?' "'But you don't understand,' he protested. "'Never mind,' she moaned. "'I don't want to understand. "'Nothing can change things. "'Only let me be quiet till we get to the house, "'or I never can go through with the rest of it.' "'Her words ended with almost a sob, "'and he sat silent for an instant, "'with a mingling of emotions, "'uppermost of which was a desire "'to take the little white shrinking girl into his arms "'and comfort her.' Nothing can change things. That sounded as though she did know, but thought it was too late to undo the great mistake now that it had been made. He must let her know that he had not understood until the ceremony was over. While he sat helplessly looking at her in the dimness of the car, where she looked so small and sad and misty, huddled beside her great bouquet, she opened her eyes and looked at him. She seemed to understand that he was about to speak again. By the great arc light they were passing, he saw there were tears in her eyes again, and her voice held a childlike pleading as she uttered one word, Don't. It hurt him like a knife, he knew not why, but he could not resist the appeal. Duty or no duty, he could not disobey her command. Very well. He said it quietly, almost tenderly, and sat back with folded arms. After all, what explanation could he give her that she would believe? He might not breathe a word of his commission or the message. What other reason could he give for his extraordinary appearance at her wedding, and by her side? The promise in his voice seemed to give her relief. She breathed a sigh of relief and closed her eyes. He must just keep still and have his eyes open for a chance to escape when the carriage reached its destination. Thus silently they threaded through unknown streets, strange thoughts in the heart of each. The bride was struggling with her heavy burden, and the man was trying to think his way out of the maze of perplexity into which he had unwittingly wandered. He tried to set his thoughts in order and find out just what to do. First of all, of course, came his commission, but somehow every time the little white bride opposite, 
took first place in his mind. Could he serve both? What would serve both, and what would serve either? As for himself, he was free to confess that there was no room left in the present situation for even a consideration of his own interests. Whatever there was of good in him must go now to set matters right in which he had greatly blundered. He must do the best he could for the girl who had so strangely crossed his pathway and get back to his commission. The thought of his message, with its terrible significance, safe in his possession, sent shivers of anxiety through his frame. Suppose he should be caught and it taken from him, all on account of this most impossible incident. What scorn! What contumely would be his! How could he ever explain to his chief? Would anybody living believe that a man in his senses could be married to a stranger before a whole church full of people, and not know he was being married until the deed was done, and then not do anything about it after it was done? That was what he was doing now, this very minute. He ought to be explaining something somehow to that poor little creature in the shadow of the carriage. Perhaps in some way it might relieve her sorrow if he did, and yet, when he looked at her and tried to speak, his mouth was hopelessly closed. He might not tell her anything. He gradually sifted his immediate actions down to two necessities, to get his companion to a safe place where her friends could care for her, and to make his escape as soon and as swiftly as possible. It was awful to run and leave her without telling her anything about it, when she evidently believed him to be the man she had promised and intended to marry. But the real bridegroom would surely turn up soon somehow and make matters right. Anyhow, it was the least he could do to take himself out of her way, and to get his trust to its owners at once. The car halted suddenly before a brightly lighted mansion, whose tented entrance effectually shut out the gaze of alien eyes, and made the transit from car to domicile entirely private. There was no opportunity here to disappear. The sidewalk and road were black, with curious onlookers. He stepped from the car first, and helped the lady out. He bore her heavy bouquet, because she looked literally too frail to carry it further herself. In the doorway she was surrounded by a bevy of servants, foremost among whom her old nurse claimed the privilege of greeting her, with tears and smiles and many, Miss Celia, my dears, and Gordon stood for the instant entranced, watching the sweet play of loving-kindness in the face of the pale little bride. As soon as he could lay down those flowers inconspicuously, he would be on the alert for a way of escape. It surely would be found through some back or side entrance of the house. But even as the thought came to him, the old nurse stepped back to let the other servants greet the bride with stiff bows and embarrassed words of blessing, and he felt a hand laid heavily on his arm. He started, as he turned, thinking instantly again of his commission, and expecting to see a policeman in uniform by his side. But it was only the old nurse, with tears of devotion still in her faded eyes. "'Mr. George, you haven't forgotten me, have you?' she asked earnestly. "'You usen't to like me very well, I mind, but ye was awful for the teasin', and I was always for my Miss Seely.' But bygones is bygones now, and I wish ye well. Ye're growed a man, and I know ye must be worthy of her, or she'd never have consented to take ye. Ye've got a good wife, and no mistake, and I know ye'll be the happiest man alive. Ye won't hold it against me, Mr. George, that I used to tell your uncle on your masterful tricks, will ye? You mind I was only caring for my baby girl, 
and you were but a boy. She paused as if expecting an answer, and Gordon embarrassedly assured her that he would never think of holding so trifling a matter against her. He cast a look of reverent admiration and tenderness toward the beautiful girl who was smiling on her loyal subjects like a queen, roused from her sorrow to give joy to others, and even her old nurse was satisfied. "'Ah, ye love her, Mr. George, don't ye?' the nurse questioned. "'I don't wonder. Everybody what lays eyes on her loves her. She's that dear.' Here the tears got the better of the good woman for an instant, and she forgot herself and pulled at the skirt of her new black dress, thinking it was an apron, and wishing to wipe her eyes. Then suddenly Gordon found his lips uttering strange words, without his own apparent consent, as if his heart had suddenly taken things in hand, and determined to do as it pleased without consulting his judgment. "'Yes, I love her,' he was saying, and to his amazement he found that the words were true." This discovery made matters still more complicated. "'Then ye'll promise me something, Mr. George, won't ye?' said the nurse eagerly, her tears having their own way down her rosy, anxious face. "'You'll promise me never to make her feel bad any more. "'She's cried a lot these last three months, and nobody knows but me. "'She could hide it from them all but her old nurse that has loved her so long. "'But she's been that sorrowful, enough for her whole lifetime.' "'Promise that you'll do all in your power to make her happy always.' "'I will do all in my power to make her happy,' he said solemnly, as if he were uttering a vow, and wondered how short-lived that power was to be. End of chapter 4